0: This podcast episode is between Hussein Kudrati and Tom Karadza. Hussein is a fascinating guy. He's born in Kenya, educated in Canada, the US, and England. He's back in Canada with his family and has started a thriving law practice in Burlington, Ontario. Hussein's perspective on life, economics, Canada, family, principles, wealth, and real estate are fascinating. His deep family history gives him a very unique perspective on where Canada is heading economically. If you want to connect with real estate professionals that you can learn from and work with, with like Hussein, our biggest, baddest, your life, your terms event, Ever is going down on Saturday, October 14, 2023, and it is going to be jam-packed full. We're expecting over 1,000 attendees, including dozens of different professionals for you to connect with the day of the event. Real estate lawyers like Hussein, property managers, paralegals, accountants, contractors, architects, mortgage brokers, tenant placement experts, developers, rockstar coaches, and so much more will all be at this event for you to connect with. Rockstar Inner Circle members get into this event for free, but the good news is if you're not a member, you can purchase a ticket to attend the event. Go to www.yourlifeyourtermsevent.com to check out the event details and register now. If you're a Rockstar member, if you're not a member, keep an eye out for the early bird ticket sale that we're opening up soon. might be out by the time this drops, and that's www.yourlifeyourtermsevent.com to check out the full event details and star-studded speaker lineup. Now, Hussein,
2: I'm sitting here with Hussein Kadrati, who, when I first met and learned a little bit about this gentleman, he's, I felt like he, I was talking to an international man of mystery. You know, I couldn't I couldn't piece together all the pieces right away. Like, who is this guy that I'm speaking to? So I'm going to ask you about real estate investing and, you know, some stuff going on in the world. But I, I do want to start with this like adventure that you went on from like Queens in Kingston to the University of London yeah. in London, England. Mm-hmm. Santa Clara is that or are we talking California, yep. California. yeah area, California area so then working in Bay Street and then now your law practice is in Burlington Ontario so here I'm gonna push the mic so thanks for being here Hussein. saying yeah uh, yeah can you walk us through this how the heck did you get to th- this journey how do you end up in Queens you're not are you, you weren't born in Canada I forget no
1: I was not born in Canada so I'm gonna take one step further back mm-hmm. I was born actually in Mombasa Kenya which is on the eastern coast of Africa where my family's been for about 3 generations and then from there about 2005ish Kenya went through a period of instability when the president who had been there for about a quarter of a century decided to step down which was which was a good move it was a democratic transition of power but the successes and the jockeying there was a lot of tribal violence and my parents just didn't feel very safe so they looked for a country that they felt that they wanted their family to immigrate to your and
2: parents were born there
1: my parents were also born in Kenya mm. their parents born in Kenya My dad's parents were, my mom's parents were not. Hmm. They came very, very young. So, like, my mom. So, pretty deep roots in Kenya. For sure. Very, very long roots in Kenya. And so, from there, they decided to come to Canada. And I was told, I was in boarding school in London at the time. And I said, not really given a choice, but said, you're going to come and have the same passport as all of us. So, we all can operate under the same passport. And Canada, not America. Canada was a choice my mom did not want to move to the United States Mm -hmm. which history repeats itself with my wife because she did not want to move to the United States which brought me back to Canada got it and so because you met her here I met my wife when I was visiting my parents here got it yeah and so we went uh came to Canada and I went to undergrad because it Transitioned with finishing high school, going to undergrad, and I went to Queens. Beautiful experience. Love the town. Still one of my favorite cities in Canada. But great I, campus.
2: No, Queens is a great campus. All important. tight, tight yeah. in there. You can get around the whole campus. And really the young.
1: limestone buildings. Yeah, so it's a yeah right on the lake. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And they really maintain it well. Even I was up there for work just to, last week, actually, and I was so impressed with the infrastructure. And I'm like, actually, there's money being spent in this town to actually improve services and public spaces. And I was like. You don't really see this anywhere else. No, the and I wasn't aware. Wow. Use. So I was like, you know, and because the government's putting in a lot of their offices, right? Like OHIP headquarters, mm. I believe, are now in Kingston.
2: Mm. And I see a lot like... Oh, a, don't talk to me about government spending, Hussein. But okay, they're getting nice buildings. Yeah. Sure. Okay. <laughs> okay, okay, there's some benefit. There's a second order effect here. We're getting nice buildings in Kingston. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. But... <laughs> Um, then I I still had a lot of friends
1: from boarding school, and my ties were in London. Like, my grandmother still lived in London. So I wanted to go back to London to do a master's degree. I didn't know what I wanted to do. So it was like a transition. I kind of knew I wanted to do law school, but I didn't know I wanted to do law school. So I was like, okay, let's go do a master's degree. I found a one-year program at SOAS, which is part of University of London, and I did a master's degree in international dispute and conflict resolution. Because, again, I thought that would be a useful skill if I decide to be a lawyer, but also was thinking about becoming a diplomat.
2: Wow. So I'm like, so either way. So you are an international man of mystery, see? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um,
1: so it, it was interesting. I, I had that program. And during that time, I realized that the, the legal courses that form part of my master's degree interested me a lot. So I'm like, OK, I want to do this. And I want to take the opportunity to live in California. It's almost like that Baz Lerman song, right? Like live in, Cali- live in Northern California before it makes you soft, right, and leave. So I was like, you know, this is a perfect opportunity. Santa Clara kindly decided to offer me acceptance. And I decided to go to law school to Santa Clara. And I used that as an opportunity then to travel across Central America and pursue my passions of fishing and golf. So I went across all of continental United States, Central America, a little bit in South America, and just had an awesome time through law school and using it as an opportunity. And that's when I also realized that a lot of institutional learning is bullshit, quite frankly.
2: How did you come to that realization?
1: Because I realized that there was, when I actually got internships and actually practiced, whatever I learned in school, I was never applying. I learned that from undergrad, I learned that from my master's degree. It's good knowledge to have, don't get me wrong, but you're not actually applying it practically in the real world. At least that wasn't my experience. So therefore, then I almost stopped going to classes almost. I just read the materials and made sure I kept myself up to date, but instead used that time to go and travel and do... Things that interested me, when you know you don't have a lot of responsibilities, you don't have a wife, you don't have kids. There's only a finite window in your life if you want to have that traditional structure for you to be able to just go pursue your passions without worrying what anyone else is going to think, say, or do. So that's how I ended up in California, and then got a job out of law school in California. Worked there for about a year and a half, and then at that time I was visiting back home. And I ended up meeting my wife, who was introduced to me by my mother, and she said that I'd, I'm not gonna be moving to the United States, if this is gonna proceed, you're gonna have to come back. And then shortly thereafter, I just, sometimes you just know that mm. this is the person for you, and now nine years later, in fact it was our anniversary yesterday, you know, Congrats. it's not been, uh, it's it's been a perfect decision for us. Like, with bumps along the way, don't get me wrong, it's not a honeymoon or Rosie, but I can look back nine years later and say, Without doubt, I'm glad I'm in Canada for now. And as we get into this, I worry about Canada's future going forward. But for the time period that we've been here, we're very grateful, appreciative to have been in Canada versus having been in the United States. When I see some of the challenges that some of my colleagues, while having good jobs and other things, are experiencing. Like things like, you know, one of them had went through infertility issues and things like that. Just trying to have a kid there and the cost, and, mm. you know, and the lack of supports like. You appreciate that Canada has a little bit more to offer in that sense, but at the same time, I still look at the timelines here, where if you're not a connected individual, and this is where I have a big issue about like healthcare in Canada, because I'm like, you have some of the best doctors in the world still practicing here, but to be able to get to see them, there isn't... A path. There isn't a method. It's almost like you have to know who happens. Yeah, you need to know someone. And for me, that's not a healthcare model where it's basically you're flipping a coin to say, are you going to be lucky enough to see the best, or others, are you just going to be waiting? And the number of people I know, especially being a wills and estates lawyer as well, and I've go, and I do a lot of will signings at like retirement homes and things like that.
2: So then. Hussein, I have a crazy story on this. Uh, I got into a car accident in 2010 to Dundas and Guelph Line in Burlington. Uh, uh, That's where the bees escaped. I know. That's why when you said that, I'm like, what is it with that intersection? (laughs) Tell us about the bees. You just got a note from someone at your office. How many bees just escaped? Five million bees literally
1: just escaped because of some kind of accident there. The police sent out a notice saying, please keep your
2: windows shut. Yeah, Can you
1: imagine yeah. what five million bees looks like? I'm kind of fascinated. Like,
2: I wonder. I think is it like a movie more. where you see the swarm coming at your car? You know? Yeah, I wonder. I wonder if it would
1: be like a swarm, but the five million would still just look like you know a nice little oh. you know honeycomb, and there you go, five
2: million bees. <laughs> Funny, anyone? <laughs> yeah. Hey, um, but to, to your healthcare example, I was fortunate to have a connection that really helped me out. I got into a car accident in 2010. Was it 2011? 2010? Uh, a guy with like a big pickup truck dually wheels at the back it was like a coffee truck a construction coffee truck fell asleep at the wheel hit me 70 going 70 kilometers an hour hit my car my car sideswiped the 18 wheeler in front of me that had a big sign that said flammable on the back i sideswiped it um and then i bounced so hard that i went across two lanes hit a car there so hard that it rear-ended a car i blacked out um and then a couple of days later from that, I had concussion symptoms, but I wasn't familiar with a concussion. And, and 2010 was not that long ago, but we've made a great leaps in how we address concussions in this country. Mm-hmm. But back then um, there wasn't really the support systems in place. So I went to the, uh, the doctor and they said, well, I think you have diabetes. And I said, no, like I'm bumping into the walls as I'm walking to your, your, your office here. I really think I have concussion kind of symptoms. I'm like off balance. I'm a bit foggy. And they're like, no, I think it's diabetes. Uh, So they took my blood. I had to wait a few days to get the results. They're like, no, it's not diabetes. I'm like, no, no, I know because I swear I have concussion symptoms. And they said, okay, well, we'll send you to the Oakville hospital. They did a CT scan. That took another 10 days or so to get the results. The results from that come back. And he said, you know what? We found something in your, in your brain. It looks like you have a tumor in your brain. But I can't tell you anymore. You have to wait to go see a specialist and that's gonna take about two to three weeks. I'll follow up with you with an appointment.
1: That's insane. Like how can that be the case for a first world healthcare country?
2: <laughs> I, was saying, I went home, I started having tears in my eyes. Yeah. And my wife's like, what do, you, what do you have? I'm like, I was just told that I have a brain tumor but I have no other information. I just have to wait for a phone call now. And luckily we have a friend whose father owns about 30, uh, what are they, radiology clinics? Um, And he's since moved to the US, but he still owned these clinics here. And my wife, I think out of desperation, probably two days later, put in a call, um, to that family saying, hey, you know, here's what happened to Tom. Is there any, like if there's a cancellation somewhere or something, can someone take a look at an MRI with him or, or you know, something? And they got me a cancellation in a hospital downtown just because this guy who owns these clinics is connected, like you said. Yeah. They got it uh, for me. I, th- I feel like it was within two days. And then the next day he called me. I'll never forget Appleby Line and Dundas in Burlington. I was in my car. I saw his phone number come up on my phone. I pulled over into a gas station and he goes, Tom it's the weirdest thing he goes this technician was just covering his butt he goes, you're totally fine it was like something we call like a lesion that was in an area that we don't always kind of see it but it's like 100% normal you don't have a brain tumor at all he goes, this person was just covering their ass and put that on the report I started crying like you know when I, I didn't realize the pressure I guess I had on me for those I don't know I feel like it the whole experience was a few weeks um, and I just started crying and I thought oh my gosh like the, our healthcare system systems crazy like to go through that and put me through that after a car accident um i don't really blame anyone but just the system itself if i didn't have that imagine i didn't have that connection i would have to wait another two three weeks to speak to somebody about that i, I mean it was crazy
1: and this is the thing right like so i get a lot of people i'm gonna ask, push the mic i'm oh, sorry closer to you. and this is the thing that i get a lot of people keep asking me like who's saying like why are you so down on canada like what is wrong like you know like it you know it's it's a land of immigrants it's a land of opportunity like what's what's changed you know you're being cynical and I'm just like and I, and I've thought about this, and I didn't have a good answer till about a few months ago I would say that I actually thought about it and through talking to my wife and my parents, I've distilled to what it is some people don't like paying tax period right they're like just answer sure. yes yeah <laughs> and and I'm like, I don't necessarily fall in that bucket, but for me it's about i i' it's like buying a nice car or buying a nice watch or buying something, right? You have to feel you're getting value for what you're spending. And for me, I'm like, in Canada, We're, I, what am I getting in return? Because I look at healthcare, it's not good. I look at public education, I'm like, schools have deteriorated. Canada's ranking in OECD and other countries even has gone down. In every respect, Canada seems to be going down, but I seem to be paying more for the same product. So I'm like, why is that the case? What am I getting for it? And then I look at the infrastructure, I look at the Skyway, I look at the growing immigration issues in Canada. I'm like, the Skyway cannot deal with the traffic volume it has right now. It simply cannot. Whatever people say, it's a nightmare. If you're driving every day and that's your commute, it's horrible. Like, you know, like you literally, I shouldn't have to plan my day because my (laughs) commute is changing (laughs) by 45 minutes, depending on what the Skyway is doing that day. Like, it just doesn't make sense. And so for me, I look at and people say, well, that's everywhere. But I'm like, not necessarily, because if you look at like Estonia or Finland, I'm not saying to go to those countries. They have their own issues, but at least they're providing you service. Right. Like back in the day, if you went to university in Canada, if you were a Canadian citizen, it was almost all free. Then slowly cost, cost, costs keep coming in like there. It's still free. So I'm like they're getting service. Their dental care is completely free. So I'm like, if that's the case, now you have a better thing, right? They don't need to have private schools in those countries because their public education is invested and well-structured. So there's a whole different thing. But here I'm paying X amount in tax, but now my daughter starts school soon, she's gonna have to go to private school because I'm not gonna put her in a substandard school. And I'm sorry, people might find offense to that teacher, but the reality is that the public education in most schools in Ontario is substandard. It's not where you would, if you can afford it, and if people ask themselves, honestly, would you send your child to the school if you could afford to spend? Like, I'm privileged and I get that. And it's not out of arrogance, but I'm not going to compromise on giving my child the best opportunity that I can. Because ultimately, that's what every parent should want, right? And I'm not going to be ashamed to it, be vocal that I'm going to do that. And if that's private school, then so be it, right? If that means going to have to pay private health care in the U.S., so be it. But I'm not, and that's my frustration here, is why am I paying for something I'm not getting any value or benefit out of.
2: I agree. This summer we were in, in Florence visiting some of Carol's family. And we sat down for a meal right in the middle of Florence. They took us to maybe a non-tourist trap type restaurant because they're locals there. We got a great meal. I got a Florentine steak. I'm a big steak fan. Huge steak. Amazing steak. We ordered, uh, you know, there. Was, I think at that dinner there was probably nine of us. We ordered multiple bottles of wine. Great food. And at the end of the day, at the end of the meal, we got the bill and I looked at the bill and I'm like, this is less than I would pay for our family of four eating in downtown Oakville. And I was looking at the cost of wine and I know I'm in Italy, so there's like for sure a lot of wine around. But the cost of wine that we were paying was like between 12 euro and 16 euro, whereas here, those bottles of wine at a restaurant it's going to be like $80 or $90. And maybe someone listening to this will think, well, you should count yourself lucky to be able to buy a bottle of wine like that. But the point is the LCBO, the, the amount of tax we're paying on the bottles of wine that when you walk into the LCBO here, it's just ridiculous. Like if you pay, if you consider the tax that we pay on our income. Then the consumption with tax, we pay HST, Mm -hmm. the taxes that are layered on oil Mm -hmm. and carbon taxes, because taxes are going to save the environment. And and then you look at just things like, you know, LCBO and how much they mark up those products. The amount of money we have after you earn a dollar in this country, especially if you're an employee and you're paying the tax off the top and not a business owner, the amount of money that you have there. And then if you put in the silent theft of inflation, like... The standard of living here is almost impossible to achieve and i thought florence would be way more expensive but the standard of living there is like better than the standard of living here and we're talking florence italy the meals we're eating the quality of foods better it's a cheaper price and i'm just thinking what's going on in canada like we can't the the um, a middle class family which is also disappearing the middle class in this country but can't even have nice meals anymore it's they're costing hundreds and hundreds of dollars to go out with your family for a nice restaurant whereas in Florence Italy there those nine people the bill was less when I converted to Canadian dollars than four of us eating in downtown Oakville here
1: it doesn't make sense it simply doesn't make sense and the problem is is we have a lot of ignorance and people just
2: wanting to cast blame and can an election turn this? Or do you think, like, I I just don't believe in any politicians. Like, I no, never have. I, an
1: election will not turn it around. But I just think that sometimes you just need change to change perception. Almost like, you know, when you spring clean a house, it doesn't necessarily change a lot within the house. It's still the same house. You know what I mean? But you feel better within it. And I feel like it's just that. That just We know,
2: need a you, spring cleaning.
1: Yeah, I just yeah, feel like you one. need a hope. You just need a bit of hope back. The cynicism that exists right now. It's just awful, right? Everybody's a cynic, nobody trusts anybody. And I just think hopefully the, that up, that change, that spring cleaning, hopefully that will come, will just help people just you know listen to one another again. Just move away from the divisiveness of everything. And it's not just a Canadian problem, this divisiveness. But it's like you cannot talk to people without people getting so defensive, people getting so aggressive on their points of view. <clears throat> It's like I had a conversation, right, and with a colleague who's a banker, and it was an interesting conversation. And, like, we share very similar views, I would say, but what the conversation boiled down to is, like, we talked about, like, you know, like, pro this or pro that, and I'm like, absolutely, but I'm like, free speech, if you say pro, you should also be allowed to have free speech towards anti, and like all this criticism that Elon Musk and people get, right? And you know what? I get and everyone should be allowed to. People can disagree with what I'm saying right now and I'm sure some people will be like I hate this guy. I never want him as my lawyer because you know, he's he's an idiot. He's a right-wing and I'm not right-wing. I'm really not. I'm actually oh. left of center. Some, would, some labels are the worst way to debate it, or decide anything, you know. Exactly. But for me, I'm like if you want to allow the pro version of anything. It could be I'm pro asparagus then you should be able to say I'm anti-asparagus too. And you should be able to listen to both points of view and respectfully, you don't have to agree with either. It could be I'm neutral asparagus, but I don't care. But just be able to listen without taking personal offense to someone else's point of view. You don't need to do that. That's their view, that's their belief. And part of it, part of being a diverse country, is there should be diversity of thought. There should be diversity of opinion, because that's what makes everybody stronger. That's what makes things great. To me, that's what made brought North America to being at the top of where they were. So it's, you think we had that? I think at the time we Wait, did. And so why? So then, what is it? Why have we lost it? Because I feel that poli- the people who became politicians starting from like i'd say like the 80s it, it goes it wasn't a switch it was a progressive mm-hmm. thing where they stopped having good ideas they stopped wanting to make difficult choices and the desire to stay in power trumped the desire to do good like i look at like lincoln right like lincoln was not motivated by his re-election if he was motivated by his re-election he would have been very different so he's principled Not just he had a cause. Like he had, he had beliefs. He had policies, and he went with them. And him preserving the union was more important than what might happen to his political career, and those and those choices. Right, like even Franklin Roosevelt, he made choices that basically were designed. That some people say he was a political opportunist, but I think his choices were he made the difficult choices. Churchill, how many times did he get voted out of power because of the choices and the difficult things he was saying? And then finally people brought him back in when they realized appeasement and things didn't work out. They needed him. And they and they realized that okay, this guy might actually be onto something. But it's about being able to say what you what needs to be done, right? Like right now, like if you talk about, you know, like in Canada, like the The fiscal spending that needs to be restrained, you know, that we cannot afford to have certain services that we're used to. And how do we fix that, you know, with the high tax burden that we are? It's not sustainable. Like the healthcare model, like, I mean, what we're spending on healthcare versus what we're bringing in tax revenue, it's just getting worse, worse, worse. The reality is it has to be, and it's already happening, right? With the services covered by OHIP getting less and less and we're privatizing some of it. I don't agree with the way the Ford government has done some of it, but it's a necessary path to go on. There's no other alternative. People want to hum and haw and yell and say whatever they want, but where is the money coming from? And yes, there's corruption in the system, but that's always going to be mm. there. That's not human nature. Let's not argue about the intractables. Mm. Let's argue about what's the solution here. How are we actually getting healthcare to people who, who otherwise will not get it? Because right now, I know so many friends of mine. If they're struggling to get a family doctor, I can't imagine how other people are struggling to get a family doctor.
2: Does democracy have a flaw in it that over time, it just gets so thick and complicated that ultimately it has to fail. Like, like I kind of flash back to maybe like the Roman Empire mm-hmm. had this amazing run mm-hmm. and then eventually it gets so big and so thick with bureaucrats and th- so thick with silly spending that it ultimately just collapses on itself. Like maybe democracy has an inherent flaw where it just eventually over some set of time, it just collapses on itself and needs a reset. Does, could that be the case? Like, are we just at the natural end of a, of a system that is always destined to get us here?
1: I'm not wise enough to answer that, but my thought process to try and attempt to answer it would be that democracy requires people to act in their best interests and to vote in their best interests to survive democracy doesn't factor in especially when there's advertising and all there's a manipulation of what is truly in your best interest that people don't realize that they're voting against their best interest i know and
2: i know you nailed it
1: and so yeah. and so for the model only works if people can vote on and on what is truly in the best on truth interest. yeah but the thing is if you ask someone right and even myself like i'm like what is truly my, it's a difficult question as the world gets more complex and there's so many more variables, right? And each time it's getting different. Like the Roman empire again, like as you're using your analogies, things got bigger, more cultures got involved, more languages, more everything. It became much harder to administer. And that's what we are facing again in democracy today. But to be honest, I think aut- autocratic nations are also have their own set of problems. Mm. So I'm like, If democracy doesn't work, is autocracy the solution? Mm -hmm. Like, what is the solution? How do
2: we govern? A monarchy, with a king that (laughs) queen that has to take care of the people, so that the people, when they pass away, don't kill the kids of the king or queen. (laughs) I I don't know either. I'm spitballing. Such a spitballing
1: question, right? (laughs) Is what is the ideal form of governance, right? To, and it's funny. Like, so one of I, I don't know who the quote was, but there was somebody who, it's a quote I've liked, but I don't remember who it is. And they said that people get the leaders they deserve. Oh, geez. So it's also, I think it's all incumbent on every one of us to think how can we contribute? Because I think it's also very easy to say it's the politician's fault. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, what are we doing to make things better? What are we doing to improve the society around us? Everyone can make a difference. It's not a trite statement. Everyone can make an individual difference. Like There's that guy in India there's, who went to this barren patch of land, and he just persistently kept planting trees, trees, trees. Mm, I know the story, yeah. And people thought he was crazy, right? Like saying, like, why are you doing this? Like, it's dead. There's nothing there. And today it's one of the most flourishing forests in India, like where tigers have come back, and all these things have come back into this forest. And it's, it's a remarkable example of how one man's belief that he can make a change actually can... Sh- made a significant change, right? And even like the movie Oppenheimer, that really good movie, if you haven't haven't seen it, we're gonna see it this weekend. Yeah, really great movie. And even like his, like, I mean, it got abused a little bit, but the whole concept of nuclear energy and how he came up with it and his ideas and things around it, how it impacted him, seeing what it became versus what his ideas were. It's fascinating because it just shows that even when you, that you can still make a positive difference in the world today, huge.
2: Sometimes I struggle, I love what you just shared, and sometimes I struggle with, you know, the guy who planted the trees, like he didn't get involved in politics. He didn't get involved. He just went and took action in a way that became so great and so impactful on the community that people kind of jumped in and, you know, ended up supporting, supporting it over time. And sometimes I think, do I comment more on politics in Canada? And do I comment more or do I just live in a way in my own small tiny way Mm -hmm. that maybe impacts the community around me but you do through your education programs that you put mm, on to rockstar mm, and things like that but should i I get involved more in politics because i feel it's such a dead end like to talk about politics in this country is just like
1: ugh. you can make a difference without being involved in politics you can just get out there and do things right Mm. and just motivate people you know to to find a cause and do something about it, right? Like some of the greatest charities and things like that that have been set up. Like mm. it's not set up through politics. It's set up through people wanting to make a difference, okay. right?
2: So so live in your own way and that that is a great way to impact the community around you. Yeah, live with a
1: purpose. Live with a cause. Live with beliefs and values and live them to the truth. Not values that you go and say in this room, you know, I tell you these are my values and I meet, you know, somebody down the street who I want to impress as a client or whatever, and I represent a whole set of different values. Your values are your values. It doesn't matter which room you're in, that's who you should be, right? You should be, you know, people shouldn't be like, oh, you seem different on that podcast, or you seem different when I met you at yeah, that yeah, restaurant. Yeah, yeah. It shouldn't be that way. <laughs> no. Right, and and that's what I think is, people are too worried about what others will think, how others perceive them. Mm-hmm. and. Like, it's funny, like, and again, like, I mean, if my mom listens to this, she's not going to like this, but she often says like, oh, you can come off as arrogant, right? Because you say things in a very opinionated way. And I'm like, I am who I am. I don't mean to be arrogant. If people actually take the time to know me, they know that I'm actually quite humble. I'm quite shy. Like I I generally keep to myself, but I have, I have views and I have opinions. I'm not going to shy away from sharing how I see the world. You don't have to agree with me. I have lots of very close friends who see the world completely different from me, right? Like I have, I have one of my best friends literally still volunteers for the Liberal Party Canada. And I'm like, you're still one of my best friends. We disagree on this, but that doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. There's love between us and that's what matters.
2: With your worldview, because you have such a great worldview with your family sister in Kenya, being in you know London, family there, and then being in California, and then working here in Canada, where What path is Canada on? And I know lots can change. You know, the path can change. Mm-hmm. But on the current trajectory, when you extrapolate it forward five or ten years or pick your time frame, where what path are, is this country on, do you think? Big trouble. In what areas? In the fact that we
1: do not have a clear path to raise revenue to support debt. And on top of it, that's existing debt and we need to spend significantly more to have the infrastructure to be able to compete, to get the best jobs, to get the best people to work in the next 100, 200 years. That infrastructure doesn't come cheap and takes a lot to build. Like the US is spending literally trillions trying to get it done, right? We don't have trillions to spend on our economy and our infrastructure in some areas is arguably worse. Like the electric grid in Canada is terrible. Like, you're trying to get people to bring business into manufacturing business into Canada. And there's a constant challenge of getting the electric grid to support the power needs of some of these manufacturing sites.
2: Which is crazy with a country like Canada with as much potential energy that we have that that's the case. Because where's the political will to spend the money? Right? Like, we're spending money
1: on things. Silliness. Like, you know, like for me, like. Honestly, like COVID for me was an opportunity for the government when they were deficit spending like crazy. Let's actually truly spend a lot of money on infrastructure and do things in an effective way. Even like the telecoms, they're starting to break it up. But I'm like, let's break up the monopoly on like, the telecommunication
2: companies. Because the cost of what we pay is still ridiculous. The co-founder of Wind Mobile is speaking at our next event on this exact topic. Yeah. On October 14th, uh, yeah. Nick uh, crossed paths with him. Yeah. He's gonna speak on this exact point you just made.
1: Yeah, because to me it's ridiculous how in this country that's, we're paying as much as we do. Like, How is it that I'm paying, I believe it was five or six times as much for my cellular bill here I as I am in Kenya? <laughs> oh.
2: Like it's not,
1: and I have better coverage in Kenya.
2: I'm not like, going. I'm in the Europe. I'm getting the Rome-like home from Rogers. Is like, yeah, we got a great deal. It's like sixteen dollars a day. We're absurd. a family. We're a family of four. So I finally figured out eSIMs. I don't yeah. know if you know about yeah. eSIMs. Yeah. You know, on the iPhone, you can. I'm like, okay, yeah. this. Is, I actually have to do this because at sixteen dollars a day at a family of four, this is just this doesn't make sense. And we're no. fortunate enough where I can't afford that. But it just, to, to, on a principle, a level, I just, I can't do it. Yeah. You know, it's $64, $64 a, day. a day for the family to use the cell phone yeah. on top of their regular bill, Yeah, you know? Yeah.
1: And for me, you know, the way I look at it and the way like I, my children are still young, but the way I will explain it to them is I'll be like, don't look at it as $64 and whether we can afford it. I'd be like, think about it for the average person who is working minimum wage. How many hours of work does that take? And then I'll say, you do the kind of work that they have to do for that longer time. And then tell me, is it worth paying this? That's how you have to look at value. And I think part of it is people don't educate the younger generation on how to assess value.
2: Agreed. If you look around the world right now, where, because a lot of my friends are asking, like, you know, hey, Tom, like, are we going to, you know, a bunch of my generation, we're all born in Canada children of immigrants, but born here. So we got the fortune to make networks here and all support each other and know each other. And it's been compared to my parents. I would say I'm very grateful for that because my parents came with literally nothing like they're European immigrants who came here with zero, mm-hmm. you know, you know, they couldn't go back home if they wanted to. My dad at one point said he, w- he was working at Canada Packers and he said he w- he hated the food, he hated the weather here. He would have gone back, but uh, he declared refugee status escaping from the the then yugoslavia mm-hmm. into germany germany kicked him out the church paid for a boat trip to canada that's how he ended up here he said i would have went back but i didn't have the money to even get back home <laughs> you know so he stayed in canada um but so a lot of my friends born here we're all asking ourselves like hmm we've never had this thought before but like are we going to stay in canada for the rest of our lives and that's a thought that even 10 years ago, we just never, never, never had. And I would argue that some of my friends are the productive class. And what I mean by that is they own businesses. Mm-hmm. They're creating jobs. Um, they're, you know, contributing to the community. And these are the people that you probably want to keep in this country. And for the first time ever, they have the means and they're asking. And uh, I mentioned this to a politician that I ran uh, across very recently. And they just dismissed it outright. They said, well, where are you going to go? And I said, no, that I said, no, no, like, the question isn't where are we going to go? The question is, what can we do here in Canada to continue to make Canada great? And I mean, they, in, but they dismissed it like there's nowhere better. So you're probably going to stay here. But that's just not true because a lot
1: of people are leaving Canada and they're juicing up the immigration numbers coming in. So therefore the net immigration looks great, but they're actually not looking at how many people are actually leaving. I can't tell you the number of people I've, I've had coming in as clients. So who, as on a, on a legal basis, selling stuff. Who who basically they came in as new immigrants, bought their home, bought couple investment properties, what have you, and now basically have sold and said, you know what, we're we're going back home. We have a better life back home. It's happening a ton and. like because we have what is known as an annual report that lawyers have felt like how much of your practice is so i always keep that data because i'm a big data geek and i like stats and one thing i've noticed is in 2023 five percent of my practice is literally exit planning now for clients like five percent of my practice from being zero in the last year has now grown to five percent of my practice is basically helping people plan to effectively exit canada and give them strategies to minimize the tax burden, working with accountants and insurance advisors and things like that, and how they can exit Canada. And if they want to preserve something, if they have kids here, how does that look like? If they have a business here, how does that look like? And helping them do that. And for me, it's like, it's a real thing that successful wealthy people are leaving Canada. And the number of people that keep coming and having these conversations with me, it's, it's a lot of them. It's not an aberration anymore.
2: People want out. When you look around the world, where would you go right now? Like maybe because you can see where a country's headed in 10 years or is there anywhere in the world that you're like, ah, oh, if I was going to you know, pick up the family and bolt somewhere right now, I'd probably end up here for a little while. So wealth is an aberration, right? Because wealth will change
1: what you can and cannot do, right? Because you have to factor in healthcare, and you have to factor Education. in ability to see your kids and support mm, safety and things like that. So for me, when I have young kids, I would be still thinking about the U.S. as the most attractive option because it has business opportunity. It still has very good schools. It has great universities. And you can healthcare is relatively, if you have the wealth, accessible. I won't say affordable, but definitely accessible. Having said that, if I did not have kids, if I was off the 50s, you know, late 40s, early 50s, my kids at university, they're independently set up. I would go back to Africa in a heartbeat. I think there's a ton of opportunity out there. It's It's, on the upswing. It's underutilized. It's uh, resource rich. Resource-rich, quality of life is incredible. Like, I mean, the rich—and I don't mean like rich. Like, I mean, I mean, if you have means, which I mean, in Canada, if you own a prince if you own your principal residence with a relatively small mortgage that you bought in earlier than 2018, you probably have a million dollars in net worth. You're considered rich in Canada. You'd you'd be fabulously wealthy, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? <laughs> and you'd have a great life there, right? You'd you would ha- you would have you'd have a driver, you'd have a servant, you'd you'd have everything you needed, right? And you you're not having to clean your own house, like you know, all these things that you know get tougher and tougher as you get older. I mean, age, hmm. you know, slows you down, like gardening and things like that. So
2: Kenya, uh, Kenya how about you sa- can. safety in Kenya?
1: Relatively safe. Like, okay. I mean, in, in fact, like crime has gone down. I hear more about crime here. In fact, I get, now my, my family <laughs> and friends Jeez. in Kenya are sending me stories of, of robberies Canada? and things in, in Canada and saying, are you okay? Are you safe? Because they keep getting this thing. Come on. That's literally what's happening. They're asking me if I'm safe, not me asking them if they're safe living in Kenya. That's literally the shift now. And I mean, come on, you must be hearing about the robberies like in Stony Creek, the neighborhood I've lived in. Four houses broken into in the last 2 months. There's a story I'm going to share with you off our recording
2: yeah. about this.
1: It's just absolutely nuts that like I mean, I'm thinking this is supposed to be an affluent part of Stony Creek, like in the known area. Four four house robberies in 2 months. How can you say that Canada's any safer when that's happening?
2: That's why that when that politician said that to me, I I kind of dismiss politicians because I'm like, oh gosh, like, but, but when they said that to me, I kind of was like, are you joking? Like, are you joking right now? You're taking the current state of Canada, then looking around the world and saying, well, where else are you going to go? Like extrapolate forward three years, even five years, 10 years, like use your brain, like take the current trends, look back 10 years, take the same number of incidents, extrapolate forward at the same growth rate. Perhaps it changes, the growth rate changes, but use the same growth rate. What do you see? There's a compounding effect here. This isn't difficult to do. Maybe I'm a geek too. I think I, oh, i not maybe, people know me, I am a geek. <laughs> so I like looking at extrapolating things out and it's just like you can see the future if you just do that. Yeah, it's, it's just basic math. For sure. I, it's, it's trouble. Like in, the thing is there's no will.
1: There's no, and that's why like for me, like my my hope for, it's just the spring cleaning analogy to mm-hmm. which we had earlier in this conversation, but I'm not actually looking for something that's gonna be huge or like major shift. I'm like, I need to think about where I want my family to be and how I want in positioning myself to be where I need to be, right? Like right now, Canada still works for me because my wife wants to be here. Sure. And you know I have a good business. I'm blessed with you know good clients. congrats and you know, and so it's it's a good situation. We should talk
2: more about your business. I think that was our
1: original intent here, talking about <laughs> yeah. what you're doing yeah. but 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 for me that's that's a motivation right yeah. to be here and work with good people, and there's some fantastic people like. Sit, for sure. Honestly, oh my gosh! For sure. the kindest, nicest uh, uh, people I've ever met. Right, and so I'm very grateful to be a Canadian. I'm a proud uh-huh. Canadian. So, and many I'm Canadians saying-
2: have a worldview that's different than I would say Americans, even though we're on the same continent. Canadians do have a bit different perspective on the world, in my opinion. Yeah, and
1: and the thing that I always tell people is, I say whatever I say as a proud Canadian because I care. It's not because I, you know, I'm like, oh well, I got my passport, I got what I need from Canada. See you later. I'm not one of those. Like, I want this country to succeed. I want it to be the best it can be because it has given my my family a lot. It's given my wife's family a lot, you know. And so I appreciate that. I see the potential of what this country could be and still can be. But everyone needs to take more responsibility towards getting there. Versus this whole attitude. And it's this whole thing about like, let's reward participation. Let's reward, Mm -hmm. you know, participation medals, participation ribbons. I'm like, stop, stop. Promote excellence, promote, push excellence. Like, and again, like not every kid is gonna be a straight A student. The world doesn't need everyone to be a straight A student. The world would suck if that was the case. It wouldn't solve anything. It would make things infinitely worse. But just push people to be the best they can be at whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But giving participation medals is not the solution. It is investing to find that the kid who is not the fastest runner, what are they the best at? The kid who is not the best musician, what are they best
2: at? And the struggle to find what you're best at is so important in your own development as a confident human on this planet. That struggle to find what you are good at, when you reward it with participation badges, they don't get to go through that struggle. And that struggle to find your own unique passion, your own unique skill and contribution to this world is what makes you who you are. And we paper over that with participation badges. So everyone gets to the adulthood and they think everything's a participation badge and they feel entitled. And that's
1: the two things I would like to say on that. One is... They, they come into the job force with entitlement then. Like I've, I've interviewed clerks and things like that. And they're like, oh, I don't want to do that. Yeah. And I'm just like, what do you mean you don't want to do that? <laughs> I was a lawyer and I was willing to do that. And you coming in at like, you know, and yeah. you, you're telling me that's. You're that's, dictating. You, yeah. Like, I'm like, I don't think this is going to work out. But when I see just more and more coming with the same thing, I'm like, well, maybe I'm the dinosaur. I need to change my attitude. And the second thing is, is I find that what's happened now is the rat race where everyone, just because things are so expensive to survive, parents don't have the time, even good, well-meaning parents, to identify what their child's skill set is. And at the school, the teachers often, some are great, but a lot of them punch in, punch out, and they're not invested. So, So it's... You know, it's also, again, it's very easy for us to pontificate and say, this is the solution. It's but also, fun though, isn't it? It is. I enjoy the discussion, <laughs> but, but I also feel bad because like, you know, like it's some parents are genuinely just trying to put food on the Agreed. table and clothe their kid and give their kid hockey practice or this without any knowledge. But that's the Canadian thing. The kid, but is hockey right for your kid? What's the right sport for your kid? Where should your kid be going? There isn't that analysis being put in. Mm-hmm. Like, where is my dollar's best spend? for my kid to excel to feel good about themselves. It's not great being a tiny little kid getting smashed. Against, I mean, maybe we'll build some resilience, but getting smashed against the boards might not be fun for your kid. It might be demoralizing. Oh, I suck at sports. Well, that might not be true.
2: <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh, boy. What do you So what skills do you think you're going to try and instill in, you know, and not principles, but maybe just skills? What comes to mind when I say that for your kids for the next you know, we see artificial intelligence entering the world. Our marketing team uses artificial intelligence like every day now. Mm-hmm. Uh, a good friend of mine who sold his first business for, you know, quite quite decent amount is now starting a company do, doing a bunch of stuff with artificial intelligence. Um, w- when you see the world, debt levels, artificial intelligence, population growth, what do you think, what kind of skills do you want your children to have? Anything come to mind when I, sh- I share that? I would want them
1: to have two skills in, in without a question. And one is not necessarily a skill, but it's an ability to take pride in being having a great work ethic and being able to help and do things around the house. Like for example, like my four-year-old, like it's an important thing that she makes her bed. She says, good morning, she brushes her teeth. She does like a set routine and being able to focus and follow through and have the discipline to do that. I've, that is very important to me. So it's a skill about being disciplined and structured in your day. Because too many people get distracted by the next shiny thing, and they lose, what is the mandate? What do I need to get done as part of my day? And the other thing is computer skills, like like going to your like ability to code, and ability to be somewhat proficient in software engineering is very, very important. Because I think that's gonna be a skill that will keep you safe. And if I had to come up with a third in this country, what is valued is a physical skill plumber electrician something it's in demand and those are the jobs that are actually earning and going to earn a lot of money going into the future because some of those things are things you cannot really automate and you will need a physical person there and when I see people going to university and getting no disrespect but like an English degree or a sociology degree without a clear plan that I want to go to law school or do something like that I'd be like no, go to college and get a trade, mm-hmm. get your trade designation, and then go and try and become something else. Become the plumber lawyer, become the plumber doctor,
2: whatever it is. Well, we gave participation badges in our grading for so long, it geared multiple generations into universities and not everybody should go to university and it robbed us of all the trades that we need in this country. It's actually a global thing. I was just in Croatia talking about this exact conversation of the lack of trades there. That might be the, the, the there's no economy there and people, the young generation kind of leaves. But in Italy, uh, you know, my wife's family was saying the same thing. It's just, it's, it, it's just unique, actually that Europe and North America are having very, very similar issues, debt, population changes, lack of skilled trade. And, and uh, I guess for, for multiple decades now, they've had the same banking system. They've been intertwined both militarily and financially. So I guess it would make sense. They've had the same political views.
1: It's, it's the same issues. It's the, or the leadership that are now guiding those countries are not the best. They're not the mm. top of their population. If the best, most hardworking, smartest people still wanted to be politicians, like, you know, when the U.S., like when the Rockefellers and the Vanderbilt's were in Congress, right, and like the Lodges and the Prescott Bush and all these people, it was a different world because these were statesmen. These were people who had real world experience instead of people just becoming politicians to line
2: their pockets and win the next election. It's just a different, different caliber, different caliber. Exactly. Um, you see a lot of wealth and a lot of people who've accumulated wealth. Are there some commonalities between these people? Did they start their own business? Do they hold a certain type of asset that is you're like, Oh wow. Like everybody who has a certain net worth seems to hold this. Uh, do you see any characteristics that are, you know, like a pattern in, in some of these people or a thought process that they have? I think one of it is that they're willing to go against
1: the grain. I find that some of the people who I find most successful and most engaging and growing their wealth, not just stagnating, are those who are willing to go against the grain. People who are not just going by what they're hearing in the news, they're making their own news. They're basically distilling facts and analyzing it for themselves. And the other thing that I've learned is there is no one way to make wealth. Mm -hmm. In terms of asset, I'd say like 99% have real estate because real estate is ultimately… A very very easy vehicle to make wealth generation, you know, right? To make sure that your next generation is wealthy, it takes sacrifices from you when you're starting out and you're the first doing it. You're going to have to pay your dues, you know, because nothing comes. You're for going free. to have to fix a toilet. Exactly, <laughs> like, like you know. But but if you stick with it, right? Like those who came in and you know ate ramen noodles and you know gave up family vacations and you know didn't go for the massage or the or the spa or whatever the the parents have sacrificed and put all that money to getting two three four investment properties their kids would be laughing now right and but it's about willing to make that sacrifice about willing to see through the vision right because then you have those things oh well interest rates are high and this and that and i can't buy a property and i'm like you know i'm waiting for the crash i'm waiting for the crash i'm
2: like Okay, keep waiting, right? Like I've the- heard that since 1998 in this country. I had a friend in 1998 because property prices had gone down for six years from 1990 to 96, and they had gone up for two years, and he was waiting in the, for the next crash in 1998.
1: Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure he's doing really well right now. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, like, I, I'm, I'm I'm a little bit cynical in that you're not going to become wealthy by sitting on your ass. Nobody becomes wealthy by doing that. In fact, like, it's a great way, even when you have wealth, to lose wealth by just sitting on your ass. Like, I have, a, I have a friend-ish who I know of, comes from a very, very affluent family. And he has access to a family trust and things like that and all that. And he came to me and says, I need a, you know, I need a connection to a banker or something. Cause and I'm like, why? And he's like, oh, I'm just having some cash flow issues. And I'm like, but I know you got a massive distribution out of your family trust. Like, what, what happened? He's like, oh, I spent it all. And I'm like, you spend that much money in a year? I'm like, how? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Some good parties in Vegas. <laughs> I have no
1: idea. But like, I'm just like, I don't understand how you could. And, and so for me, it's a surefire way to you know, take wealth. And that's the thing. People think if you have even $100 million or whatever amount of wealth, that it's going to last forever. But if you don't know how to guard it and preserve it, and if you're not actively trying to grow it, it will disappear.
2: Mm. It's like playing defense only in sports. Like when a team has a lead yeah. and they go to protect that lead and just go into that defensive shell, what That's happens? More. They always get scored on. You know, they they don't hold the yeah. lead because you're
1: putting an you're putting an unreasonable burden of pressure on yourself. When you're being offensive, yeah. it's like I can take risk, I can make a mistake, but when you're just being defensive, look at the burden. The human nature, it's a more negative mindset. Yeah, the, the human brain is not designed to just put that much pressure on yourself. Why would you? And why would you want to? Like, think of it like any situation. Think of life. Like, why would you put so much pressure on yourself? Put so much pressure. Like, it's it's like the people who cram for an exam on the last night. And I'm like, why do that? Why not just be disciplined and just, you know, do a little bit of reading every week or whatever? Then you don't need to cram. Then it's not pressure. And you see the people pulling all-nighters and making questionable choices. And I'm like like you don't make life harder than it needs to be Mm -hmm. and that's why i enjoy mentoring kids in like late high school and like university and things because i'm like if you just actually are willing to listen to someone who's been there and done it life doesn't
2: need to be as hard as we want to as we choose to make it not even want to make it we
1: choose to make life harder
2: than it needs to be where are some of these thoughts coming from is this passed on from your your parents your own discoveries where is this coming from
1: A lot of it is honestly growing up in a family where dinner time was like discuss issues, discuss policies, have a point of view. It wasn't like as a 10, 11 year old, you got to be quiet and, you know, eat your dinner quietly and let the adults talk. It was no. What do you think about this? What are your views on this? So I'm very grateful that my parents gave me that opportunity and, you know, I owe them everything. But I'm also very, very grateful for the networks and the opportunities that they facilitated. I had great professors who took time to talk to me. I had great mentors. Like even when I started articling, like, you know, I had Mark Youngman and Bernie Gassy and Ken Cohen. And like, they were very senior lawyers who didn't have to give me a lot of time, but they invested their time in me to guide me, to share their life lessons and how they thought. Wow. And for me, one of the things, even like in our conversations, what I get most out of it is I want to learn, how does Tom think? Mm -hmm. Because to me, the knowledge you have is one thing, but the greater gift is actually if you understand how Tom thinks and it's like, okay, what can I apply on that? Because then I can, it's it's the analogy, give a man a fish, you feed him for a day, but teach him how to fish, you know, you feed a family, whatever. I'm, I'm butchering it, but you get what I'm trying to say, right? And so for me, it's anyone I meet, I want to understand how they think and what can I apply in their thought process to make me think better. Because it's always, you're always trying to level up. If you
2: ever stop trying to level up, you're dying. Life gets dull. How did you end up with deciding on a law practice? Do you predominantly do real estate? I do three areas of law.
1: It's real estate, estate planning, and corporate commercial. They dovetailed all together. Because, for example, it's like, how do you use a trust, right? Like, to do it. Like, I had a call, actually, from a referral from one of your agents. And, you know, I I just, on my drive up here, I literally... He thought he had to go one way, and just during the call, we talked it through, and I literally showed him how he can save awesome. about $200,000 in capital gains by doing oh a God. different plan. And so he's like, man, I didn't even think about that. He's like, this is amazing. He's like, I gotta put this in an email to you and just confirm I've understood all of this right, right? But it was just like, you know, it's a, it was a lack of education, but it's mm-hmm. about just taking the time to do that. And that's why I love what I do as a lawyer.
2: You're probably, yeah, you, you probably don't even realize, maybe you do, but you probably re- don't realize like with your your family's history and then the, the the education that you have and the exposure to some of Canadian law that you've had, not many real estate lawyers will bring your perspective to what you're doing to the investor who's picking up their first, they might be the first generation of their family starting to accumulate wealth. They don't have that knowledge. So when you step in with that type of information, you're blowing people's minds. Yeah. You know, so it's. I feel fortunate that you're in the community right now, saying, I really do. Well, I appreciate the kind
1: words, but honestly, for me, it's it's a privilege. I'm the privileged one that I can actually see people how they're growing, be part of their growth. Because honestly there's nothing more satisfying. It's almost like watching your children grow, right? And I'm sure you see the same thing as part of what you did. You see like people who didn't have came green-eyed, you know, to your first thing and whatever. And now you see them with like 10, 20 properties and you're like, I played a role in them getting there that way. And even it's just a small part, but you're like, you know, I'm grateful for what I did for them. Right. And they don't have to appreciate you or anything. It's just, you know, that you play that role. It gives role. you a bit of purpose
2: and yeah. it, it legitimately it is a small role because they had to go do it all, exactly. but, but it does feel good.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I know how many shitty lawyers there are out there. Yeah. I see how many don't do a good job. Like how many do paper, how many of how many clients have come to me and said, wait, I mean, you're the lawyer because I'm like, well, what do you mean? And they're like, well, at our previous law firm, I never met the lawyer to mm-hmm. sign up or anything. I'm like, no, no, no. That's not how we do things here. You get access to me. Like, yes, there will be things that my clerk will communicate with you that are sure. appropriately designated. Like, you know, reminding you get your life and I mean, your fire insurance policy, you know, talk to you about details that the title insurance company might be asking for. Things like that. Sure, they will deal with, you know, booking you in for the appointment. But the legal stuff you're paying me good money and I know people work hard for their money as we've alluded to Mm -hmm. throughout this conversation they're entitled to get value for that money get the advice and get suggestions right getting a lawyer to actually say well hold on did you think about this or did you do this like
2: and and law is applied so differently by so many different lawyers. I think when we were chatting at lunch a while ago, a few months ago, you were telling me that some real estate lawyers will check title a little differently or they'll forget checking title. Uh, maybe I'm remembering it incorrectly. I don't remember the details. Is that ringing a bell for yeah, you? Yeah,
1: well, I mean. This, what was that? Yeah, what was it's that about it's, it's simple things like abutting land search, right? Like it's, did you do the right abutting land search? And also it's about like if you're. That's right. Yeah. And also if you're doing a, a duplex, triplex, fourplex, there is three checks you have to make. Like one is whether the agreement was done in a residential or commercial form because no offense but a lot of real realtors do it willy-nilly like there's no consistency right and sometimes could be who prepared the offer it could even be that you know so You have to double check, see what the HST implications are. Think about that through. Make sure you've advised your client if they're buying and it is HST in addition to, they've got their HST number in place, so they're not having to pay that on closing because that's a significant thing that people may not budget for. But you have to communicate that with time so they can go to their accountant, get registered, do whatever they need to do. Then you need to think about title insurance. How does title insurance view the property? You might have it on a residential commercial, but if it's certain units, title insurance, and depending on the title insurance provider, has another viewpoint then you look at the bank. Is the bank endorsing this as a residential or commercial product? Making sure your mortgage documents, making sure you're taking the right documents from the portals. Because the bank sends you instructions, but if you just say, oh, well, this is residential, I'm going to go get the residential instructions. Then you get a year, sometimes a year later, the bank says, hold on, this wasn't right, now fix it. And now, and most lawyers just ignore it or whatever and don't give a shit, right? But like... You don't know sometimes when you have these title issues sitting on your property until you go to sell it. And people don't necessarily sell properties which for a long, seen, long time. Yes. And, and then they get shocked. Exactly, and and by then it's like, you know, what happens? Like I have, I have a client right now actually that I have a call with after this where they bought a condo like with a garage unit. So there's like a townhouse mm-hmm. condo and a garage which are on two separate titles. And they didn't realize that, and they had two in the same complex. So they got the one fully. They thought the second one was the same thing. But the second one, the owner they bought it from, the, so the seller when they bought it, hadn't got the garage unit from the previous owner because that lawyer had failed to convey it. Ugh. So they didn't have title to it. And now when they're going to- Where did to, the
2: title sit with the previous owner? With, with two owners two ago. Two owners ago,
1: ago. yeah. Two, two owners ago who are now deceased, oh. have closed off the estate, and there's something on title. So now who has the right? Like it's, it's a mess, right? And all because the lawyer didn't do proper due diligence. You know, and it's and therefore for me, it's like about I care and like and it goes down to even like value. Right. I refuse to be the cheapest lawyer out there. There could be people who undercut, go down, 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 sure. down, down. But for me, I know the value I bring. And I want to work with people who actually want to work with a professional who delivers them value. Mm-hmm. And I say, like, if you're looking, if you're looking for just someone to close a deal for you. I'm not the right guy for you because I'm not going to be the cheapest guy. And if you're just looking for the cheapest deal, let's get it closed. I don't operate like that. I don't want to be that guy. Right. And and respect. No no disrespect to you. We'll be friends. We go for lunch. We'll be. But I'm not the right lawyer for you. If you want someone who's going to grow with you, guide you, help you and care about your outcomes, then come talk to me if that's what you actually want out of your lawyer.
2: I tell everyone and because and, we meet so many people who will price shop everyone, they will price shop a lawyer, they'll price shop everything. And I'm like, if you're saving $50, what is that lawyer doing to say to do things so cheaply, you know, and then you're you're you're, you're you want relate. I tell everyone, like you want to pay. You want all the people around you to be making great money. That's what you want around you, because then they're all living great lives and you can all support each other and you want the relationships like you want the relationship with Hussein. Hussein knows what he's talking about. So if he's $100 more or $250 more, whatever it is, you actually want to pay that because you're investing in that relationship. Because if I pay you and I become a client of yours, I know down the road when I call you, you're going to return my call. Yeah. And that's just how the world works. And you want relationships with these people. If you build your relationship with the cheapest people, you tend to get the cheapest advice. Absolutely. And it takes forever for people to realize that, Hussein.
1: But, <laughs> I've been telling people that for years. But I respect it. People, people some people just sure. don't
2: want to part with their money. Yeah, yeah. And, no, and I no get harm. it. And to each their own. You're, yeah. you're right. How did you? And now. I don't, I don't golf, but I need to understand this about you. You golf and you're a good golfer. Like you, I'm okay. I'm you're totally okay. Good. You're okay. All right. Yeah. Let's say you're okay. I know with golfers, it's yeah. a very sensitive, yeah. you know, how, what you say. Um, what is it about? I was like, I just haven't never gotten to golf, but all my friends golf, not all my friends, I would say vast majority people hear golf. Mm-hmm. What is it about golf that you enjoy? Is it just being outside for a few hours? I'm trying to figure this out about myself, Hussein. It ties into my passion of real
1: estate, actually. Okay. (laughs) In golf, it allows you to see some of the most beautiful pieces of real estate in the world. in a a fantastic manicured setting, which is designed to bring out the best of the land. And you see, like, especially around seaside courses and things like that, like, and I see, like, from the old ones in Scotland to the new designs in, like, the Caribbean and parts of the U.S. or even, like, Cabot Cliffs in Nova Scotia. You're seeing how things, you can't even imagine, like, you think about this was just, like, rock and mud and all this, and you see that. So that's one part of it. And then the second part of it is the game is never the same. Even if you're playing the same course day in, day out, the pin position changes, the wind changes, the grass wetness, it's never the same. And for, for me, that attention to detail. It, it's a nerd that's that, that, you know, things are always evolving and you always have to be mindful. I love that challenge. And, I, and honestly, it's the mental side of it. Because if you're not mentally cued in, Golf can make you feel really bad about yourself, mm-hmm. right? And so it's about- It's made me feel very bad about myself many times. <laughs> and <laughs> and it, it teaches you to overcome adversity, right? It teaches you to be, yeah. you know, and similarly why I love fishing, because for me it's about fishing is, it's not catching. And people are like, oh, it's so boring. And I'm like, why is it boring? It's boring because you're not doing something right. You, you, you will get to the fish if you start figuring out what they want. So now you need to think, mm. you know, and so then you start thinking about weather patterns, water temperatures, colors, what the what bait fish are around at the time. And that battle of, you know, trying to, and then when you actually catch a good one, right, it's, there's no feeling because you're like, I did this. I hooked, I, I raised it, I hooked it, I landed it. Mm. Like it's, it's honestly, for me, I'm not a wilderness guy. But for me, it's my closest thing to feeling like, you know, what the pioneers felt like, you know, when you're out there in the world.
2: Yeah, I got it. So, yeah, it's almost like a battle with yourself. A lot of this golf fishing, understanding it. Are you disciplined enough? Are you doing what's right? I guess the correlation I could have is Nick dragged me out to these CrossFit gym radics here in Oakville. And I find in the middle of the workouts, it's just like I don't like I actually don't really like going to the gym. And in the middle of uh, one of these CrossFit workouts where you're just doing the silliest stuff. i I like that mental challenge moment where i find myself wanting to quit when i'm like oh my brain's saying why are you doing this burpees suck Mm -hmm. and i'm like am i gonna quit right now am i gonna keep going can i like override my body to keep going so i honestly go to the gym for that (coughs) mental component because i enjoy trying to figure my own self out and you know what pushes me and what holds me back and you know, am I going to limit myself or I see someone else doing that extra burpee? I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I should be able to do that too. So, you know, it's just yeah. kind of like this game. Um, so I guess, yeah, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm kind of picking up some of that stuff, but I got to admit some of the golf courses, I'll never forget. I had a great mentor. Uh, his name was Syed who took me under his wing at Oracle when I was at Oracle and uh, he didn't have to, he taught me a lot of stuff about the Oracle databases that I didn't understand and taught me how to apply it into a sales environment. And he took me to a... Uh, pebble beach mm-hmm. and I remember going there. and I, I didn't golf like I didn't see anything but I remember seeing that course and going oh holy smokes like this is absolutely a beautiful landscape mm-hmm. so yeah you get the ability in whatever area whatever locale whatever country you're in to see some of the most beautiful manicured landscapes in the world so and you meet lots of interesting people you right? do yeah Especially some characters you too
1: to with people you just go in and say book me a tea time you know one or two people and you just meet any two yeah. randomly and it's amazing the kind of people like you'd yeah in a meeting with. Like, I remember uh, once, like, it was completely random. And me and my buddy who was at law school, we, like, we decided to just go down for a weekend to this course called Pelican Hill, which is in Newport Beach. And we just booked a tee time for two, and it was fine. And when we walk up to the first tee, it's literally Woody Harrelson and Andy Garcia, who are basically, like, who we're playing with. And we're like, what? Like, I'm like Who's, who gets that, right?
2: Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's wild. I don't see that at the gym. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't I'm sure if you're in L.A. You're Ross right. You're Red, right. You I got to start go going there. to other ones. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. I never thought about that. You're right. CrossFit, uh, California. Yeah, you're right. right. There. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Actually, in the Miami one, I did see some characters. You're right. Um, uh, what do you want people? So, you know, just kind of wrapping this up. What should people know about Hussein Kadrati? Like, what should people know about you? What do you want your life to stand for? What do we want people to know about you? I work hard. Come into the mic for this. I work hard.
1: I am going to care about your outcomes. And ultimately, more than what you should know about me is I want to know you. And I want to take the time to get to know you. That would be what I'd say is what I want people to think about me. Like my epitaph should be he cared to know us.
2: Very cool. Cool. I feel blessed to cross paths with you, Hussein. Oh, feeling I very think, mutual. I, think, I feel like it's, it might've been Charles Waugh that uh, made the intro. I don't, I don't, I don't, I know, I know, I know you've been around yeah. us and yeah. stuff, I feel um, very- It was bu- definitely Charles so who was it. Kept yeah, connected. Charles, yeah, yeah, I really feel grateful. And th- that's another amazing guy, oh, like how amazing- Top I'm quality Charles. guy. Yes. Um, Hussein, what's uh, well, the best way to reach you, like the law firm URL or whatever, can you share? Uh, so. Instagram
1: we're very very active on Instagram so at HSK law firm on Instagram is a great way or otherwise you can just email me and I guess you can put it up on just a podcast link I just give you my email address is the best way okay and it. people email me directly they get to talk to me directly they don't have to go through someone. One day
2: you'll regret doing that. He's saying one day you're going to have so many people emailing you, you won't be able to handle it anymore. Yeah. But uh, I will say that our team here, when we didn't know about you, always compliments your office and your clerks in your office. Mm-hmm. They, the feedback I always hear is that that law firm just has their act together. They do the paperwork on time. And maybe these are in, in law, like simple things, but so many law firms don't do those things. Mm-hmm. So you always, in, in, you know, the people in your office. Get the highest praise from from our office, and not that we do everything right. I'm sure, like we're still, you know, trying to figure things out ourselves. We all try to do our best, and that's it,
1: right? And we keep open lines of communication, and we respond. That's honestly the most important thing is we actually respond. Like, there's a question, we'll respond to you. If we have a question, we will ask. Right? We won't just sit there and just oh, somebody's going to figure it out. We'll be like, no, there's something missing here. Let's have a conversation. Oh, an amendment wasn't sent through. Okay, let's get it done, you know. Or, oh, we see a signature miss. Let's go talk to the realtor and make sure we get this fixed, right? We don't let problems fester so that on the day of closing, we can bump up our bill and charge an arm and a leg for fixing it last minute. We just get it, and we don't charge extra unless it needs to be. These small things, we just build it into our services, you know, and the reality is often people tell me it screws me because then people don't realize what they're getting, right? They're like, oh, this was smooth. Like, you know, what's a big deal? Why did I pay so much for it? But they don't realize because they just see the stack of documents that they sign and they're like, that's it. I'm like, no, no, there's a lot that goes in that we do behind the scenes that goes through. Like, you know, you don't see the hours that like my clerk or myself sometimes I'm on the phone with the bank trying to get a discharge statement to keep your deal on track. Like, it's a pain. Like, I mean, and, but it's a pain of love because we do it because we love what we do. But don't think that it's just easy and we're just like raking in the money doing nothing. That's not true either.
2: Hussein, thank you for this. Thank you for spending the time. You didn't have to do this. Oh, my pleasure. So, yeah, yeah I appreciate I, I'm, I'm going to bug you to do this again. So uh, thanks, Hussein. Oh, thank my you. pleasure.
0: A big thank you to Hussein for sharing his story and thoughts on the world right now. You can find Hussein on Instagram at HSK Law Firm. That's HSK law firm and his practice specializes in real estate, estate planning, and corporate strategy. His website is www.hsklawfirm.ca. That's hsklawfirm.ca. And you can go to www.hsklawfirm.ca dot your, your com to check out our biggest, baddest your life your terms event where we've ever put on. It's coming up on Saturday, October 14th, 2023, in Mississauga, Ontario. That's ww.yourlifeyourterms event com to check out the full event details and register now if you are a Rockstar member. Early bird ticket sales coming if you are not a member, you can still attend if you buy a ticket. Um that's your, your event com. Thanks for listening and we hope to catch you on the next episode.